0: Hey Hillary, may I cut in? Now, beat it, (laughs) Bill.
1: Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. We're a brand new independent podcast and we're covering Saturday Night Live and all things comedy. I'm John Murray and along with my guests, I'll be breaking down each new episode of Saturday Night Live starting with season 42 this fall. Now our podcast doesn't officially kick off until September. But over the last few months, we've been recording a bunch of test podcasts, trial runs, just to work out the kinks in the show's format. And even though overall these casts are a bit of a mess... There were some highlights, some fun little moments that we thought would be worth releasing as sort of teasers in the lead up to this fall. So the following are some snippets from my discussion of Season 41, Episode 21 with host Fred Armisen and musical guest Courtney Barnett. My guest was Steve Finn. Steve is the host of Transparency on CHMR 93.5 FM in St. John's, Newfoundland. You can connect with Steve on Facebook at TransparencyCHMR. And if you want to connect with us, go to snlafterparty.fm. All right, enjoy.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Fred Armisen!
1: Now that it's all over but the crying, they can reflect back on the campaign and have a little bit of fun. And it culminates in a dance that breaks the fourth wall. They dance off the stage, they have... Uh, Some fun interchanges, and then she forces him into an elevator, pushes the button, and Bernie (laughs) Sanders has officially left the building. (laughs) Since I was seeing the show live, I can't be objective. (laughs) Yeah, totally. How did you feel about the cold open compared to what we've been getting for the political satire so far this season?
0: I really liked the concept of putting politicians in a bar setting. The thing about bars is that you know you sit down, you get drinking, and you start speaking what's really on your mind. This is a good co- a good way to hold up, you know, a magnifying glass to what they're doing, right behind the scenes. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's a fun speculation, and I think it was endearing, and it was it was it was funny. Yeah, I liked it.
1: It's an opportunity for the caricature versions of these politicians to say the things that you kind of know the real ones are thinking, but yeah. it's not part of their public persona. So they kind of have to hold it in until they have these little moments of reflection. That's it. Uh, so that was, yeah, that was a fun setup. And then because it's the finale and because they're trying to make everything a little bit more uh, memorable and kind of put a bookend on The tone of the season, as far as their political satire, uh, having the little dance, just more, probably more of an indulgence for the cast than anything. Yeah. But just having that little moment that elevates it and makes it a little bit more sentimental. And then having the big joke at the end, I thought it played out really well. And I thought it was smart that they had that joke at the end. They didn't just go for sentimentality and then just have it kind of fizzle out. Yeah. It was a very fun way to say bye to Bernie Sanders. And it also opens up the door that they could recast him with someone actually in the cast. If he's ever politically relevant again, like it's almost like they were saying bye to Larry David's Bernie Sanders as well. Yes. Yeah. So I thought that was a really great way to open the show. I thought it was fitting for the finale to have a little bit of sentimentality and have the whole cast kind of in the smoke there.
0: Yep. It was very (laughs) finale-esque.
1: Yeah. it, It felt right. It felt like a really good choice for the cold open. Love from New York, I Did Saturdays Right, Fun, Fame, and Fred on the 17th Floor, A New One-Man Show, starring Fred Armisen.
0: Oh, such brilliance. Mm -hmm. This monologue blew me away. This is easily the best monologue of the season. Yeah. Wouldn't you agree? I know you were there and...
1: (laughs) I absolutely would agree, but I've been doing a little bit of informal testing and asking some other people that watch the show, and it went over a lot of people's heads because I think it's very much a New York joke. The idea of the one man show, if you haven't seen one, or if you don't at least understand the kind of self-indulgent tripe (laughs) that tends to permeate a one man show, then you don't necessarily understand why this was so funny.
0: Yeah. I meet the requirement of having seen a number of one man shows and I'm always so uncomfortable <laughs> at these things.
1: He understands the beats to play up and what really rings true.
0: It's uncanny the amount of notes that he hits with yeah. this.
1: So, without being overt and in your face, like he doesn't have to explain the joke to you. Yeah. All of those jokes landed just because he heightened them just enough that you saw the satire.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Man, it just killed.
1: Yeah. At Dress, it played really well. And at Dress, it was significantly longer as well.
0: Yeah. It was pared down. Was it?
1: The talking parts weren't pared down too much. There was a bit where he comes out and he says, you know, it's the last episode of the season and it's the last episode of SNL ever. (laughs) And then someone off stage is like trying to get his attention, telling him, no, 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 it's not the last one ever. And he has this awkward moment where he's basically being corrected. Corrected while on camera oh, so they cut that out they kept the line that it's the last one ever and then he did nothing with it he just let the audience <laughs> laugh at it and then didn't build on it which is in a way it's a little bit funnier because now everyone's sort of scratching their head going okay oh, like, is, is that true <laughs> is this where the monologue is going like is that the joke and then no no we're going in a totally <laughs> other direction just pretend like that never happened we're not going to explain it we're moving on wow. so it kind of worked well both ways So there was that, that was just a little edit, but when he's doing his show at the end, you know, the, he does kind of the stage management of the lights and kind of does the sad walking away. And then like the pensive, uh, sitting down on the step and then goes off to the right and off to the left. And all the while he's trying to, to give direction to the lighting guys, that part at the end where he prefaces it by saying, you know, the critics say this part goes on a little too long in the dress rehearsal. That was about three times longer.
0: Really? Yeah.
1: But the thing is every time he stopped and made one of his poses and brought up the lights, it worked every time. Like it was still fun for the audience, but because it was essentially the same joke, just replayed in different positions with different lighting or whatever, Mm -hmm. there was a lot they could pare down and it, it just tightened up the monologue, but you still had fun with that concept of he's being so hands-on that he's actually giving direction on the exact brightness of the lights and where to spot it. And, you know, the joke made sense even with one third of the time given to
0: it. That is just the brilliance of Fred Armisen. It was destined to be an amazing show.
1: Yeah. And the thing is he doesn't come out with a, like a really powerful presence. Like he comes out very modest, Yeah, but then he takes command of the stage and you have no choice, but to just respect and follow where he's yeah. going. And uh, it was impressive to see that too. Cause I kind of wondered if this is a guy who, when he was on SNL, he would always get lost in a character. It was never just like Fred is coming out being Fred because he's got charisma or whatever. So for him to come out as Fred and take the audience on that ride, it just impressed me. It really, really impressed me. My thought watching it is that's kind of a hard joke to pull off. Like turning the assassination of Osama bin Laden into someone's sexual fantasy. (laughs) Like you got to give credit to the lonely Island because that's, yeah. that's not an obvious joke. And it's, it's something that I would assume would be really hard to mine for jokes, but they found everyone. <laughs> There's even a line where Andy is singing about how he's not tracking the metaphor. Like he doesn't even understand why this is <laughs> something that she'd be into, but he's trying his best to like get on board and figure out how to indulge her. And he- yeah. It's more of the joke of like, I don't even understand why, you know, how to make this work for you.
0: It starts getting, yeah, it starts getting more reflexive and meta
1: for such a crude premise. It was really smart and really well executed.
0: Absolutely. Uh,
1: the little refrain at the end where they show uncle Sam caressing the hand of Osama bin Laden, it's Fred and Beck Bennett <laughs> on a picnic. And they have a little like <laughs> encounter where their eyes meet just that. Uh, That's a level of stupidity that there has to be a certain amount of genius behind. Normal minds do not go to that depraved of a visual. So, yeah, credit to the Lonely Island for just being willing to go there.
0: But that is the word to use, isn't it? Genius.
1: Depraved genius. (laughs) Regine. This is Fred Armisen doing what Fred Armisen did on the show a lot finding an absurd character and letting the whole sketch hang on one really bizarre encounter with that character. Right. Overall, did you think that this played well?
0: Absolutely.
1: Because this is not a first time character and we've seen the erotic (laughs) spasms of Regine before, (laughs) is it something we needed to see again? Did it feel fresh? Has it been long enough? Where was the sketch's strengths and where was its weaknesses?
0: Not a whole lot of weaknesses. The strengths were, you know, uh, Fred Armisen just being a badass performer and doing what he does best, even making Vanessa Bayer break of mm-hmm. all people, like one of the most stone-faced cast members we've got on the show right yeah, now. She
1: does not break often. Yeah. Fun fact, little inside baseball: she did not break during dress.
0: She did not. Okay.
1: Nobody broke during dress. In fact, the whole guacamole foot thing didn't happen. That was all Sedacus just ad-libbing that, like when he like eats the nacho.
0: I had a feeling it was ad-libbed.
1: <laughs> Between dress and the live show, he managed to loosen himself up a little bit. Yeah. He came out seeming a lot more comfortable to go off script and just kind of be loose with the material. And I think it was because Sedacus went off script there and pulled the sketch down into, okay, we're just going to have fun with this and it's already kind of a mess. So let's just yeah. roll with it. So I think that was on him and it played really well. It was a really funny sketch, but it was a much tighter sketch and everyone was more on point. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it felt a a lot more controlled in dress and it really loosened up for live and that's where the breaking happened. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: I mean, I've heard that Jason Sudeikis is known for being unpredictable and uh, not doing things the same way twice.
1: Yeah. And I think it's because he had the opportunity, like Fred's foot went in the guacamole and Jason Sudeikis being a seasoned comedy pro realizes, okay, we've got comedy gold here on Fred's foot. I can't just let that pass. I can't just, (laughs) I have to lick this shoe Yeah, for the sake of keeping the sketch together. I'm not going to pass up the opportunity to do something that the crowd's going to love. He knows how to work the crowd. He knows what's funny and He went off script and it worked. I don't think Lauren lets just anyone do that. In fact, he's fired people for going off script, but in this case, well, first off, Sudeikis comes back as a goodwill gesture. It's not like you can fire him, but it took the sketch in a fun direction and it was a win for everyone. We had talked previously about whether the show ever intentionally encourages breaking as a way to elevate a sketch. I can say emphatically that that wasn't the case here, that everyone yeah. played it very cool in dress and it just went the way it did during the live performance because that's sometimes how it goes. I have never in my life been in the midst of a more riotous outbreak of sheer, uh, it was an orgasmic level of (laughs) cheering and gasping and awe and just total bewilderment. When this sketch does what this sketch does, (laughs) I swear it was the biggest laugh, the biggest moment, the most enthusiastic thing I've ever seen in my life, but I'm quite sure it was the biggest laugh of the season. Even when I rewatched it on TV, which was a different audience, the laugh behind it, the track that they let play over it, it still seemed like I don't think I've heard a laugh like that on SNL in a long time, and that matches up very closely with what I saw at Dress. This was a big, big deal for SNL.
0: It was. This was a perfect recipe of shock humor, just done right, done you know. flawlessly, done flawlessly. I was watching this sketch, and clearly, you know, an homage to Dead Poet Society. Right. So as they're playing out the familiar beats. You know, it was going on and it was continuing to be serious longer and longer. And I'm like, okay, we haven't even gotten the joke part yet. Yeah. We're still setting up.
1: We see a little bit of wry satire. Like you can see that the characters are slightly heightened versions of what was in yeah. dead poet society, but there was no joke
0: yet. Like I was getting anxious waiting. Yeah. It was like, okay, why are we watching? Yeah,
1: Where's this going? What's the joke? <laughs> They had to let it build. They had to let it go on long enough as almost a like beat for beat retelling of the final scenes of Dead Poets Society for the joke to be as strong as it was. Because it had to be something that you were waiting for, but you couldn't see coming. Yeah, You need that perfect collision of anticipation, but being totally bewildered and unaware of what's to come. <laughs> I got to give credit to them for walking that line and editing it and producing it in such a way that they couldn't have made that joke stronger or land better.
0: No. Yeah.
1: The setup is you're at a prep school. There's a teacher who's being ousted for being <laughs> a free spirit a la Robin Williams in yeah. dead poet society. And in this, that plays out almost exactly the same. Fred Armisen's the teacher that's being ousted. And Bobby is the authority figure who's trying to get the boys to read from the book. Beck Bennett, he's tasked with reading it and he's just saying that the wording in the textbook is, you know, poetry is horrible and it's written by old men <laughs> as punishment and it's only <laughs> for, you know, children and women and homosexuals. And it's just, it's like there is a joke there. And yeah. you could almost assume that this is just going to be a satirical run through of Dead Poet Society and they're just going to have those little subtle jokes. You kind of yeah. think that that's the height of the sketch. And then. Pete Davidson, who previously stands up from his desk and you see the ceiling fan above him and then he sits back down. So they already frame it and show you that there's no way that Pete Davidson can stand on his desk without encountering that ceiling fan. (laughs) When all the boys start doing their act of rebellion and getting up on their desk, the last one to do it is Pete Davidson. He gets up, his head gets chopped off.
0: Decapitated,
1: and there is a insane amount of blood that just pours over everyone in the scene.
0: The head gets thrown about, yeah. thrown around a bit.
1: The head goes flying, and it's almost like a, a game of hot potato where. <laughs> People keep encountering the head and then they throw it and it gets chewed up in something else like the fan at the side of the room. Finally, the headmaster throws it out the window and it encounters a lawnmower, which then sprays an inordinate amount of blood back on the window. And it's just this uncontrollable bloodbath all in the span of maybe 15 seconds and the horror on the boys faces and the headmaster and Fred Armisen. It just works perfect as nobody could have possibly seen this being the outcome and they're just a gas yeah. at what just happened. <laughs> so that's the whole joke. It's just seeing that play out and the over the top absurdity of all this blood just spraying everywhere in all directions uncontrollably that you can't help but just be completely balled over by. And I've heard that this is uh, something that Colin Jost has been working on for a while.
0: Yeah, I heard that.
1: Yeah. So anyone who's cold on Colin Jost or doesn't recognize the contributions he makes to the show, just know that he came up with the biggest laugh of the season and that's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah. I wish I could like erase my memory of the sketch and see it again for the first time.
1: It holds up because there are enough jokes in it that you still appreciate how well they produced and edited it. And then the, the ending little bit where Mr. Bunting realizes, okay, well there's no recovering from this. So, uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to take off, you know, it gets very casual. Like you guys got my email, right? I'm just, I'm out of (laughs) here. I, I'm not staying around for the fallout from this.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Perfect way to end it. Yeah. Perfect.
1: Yeah. this is as perfect a pre-tape as uh, we may ever see on SNL. All right. So we are at the last sketch of season 41. Single tier. It is the Harkin (laughs) brothers. So there's no joke to this sketch other than just riffing on the idea of uh, like early seventies Southern rock where it's just a hootenanny kind of Scene. For sure. It was fun, but the sketch was not trying to be anything other than here's our cast from season 41 dressed up, and we're just gonna go out on kind of a sentimental note.
0: Yeah. I just like to point out that this is a real performance. It was done live. The people you see on stage are the ones playing. That's Jason is playing drums. Oh no, 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 no. What are you talking about? No. No, 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 no. (laughs) I'm sure some of the band from the live band was also playing.
1: It was totally the house band. Jason Sudeikis drumming was not mic'd at all.
0: It wasn't even mic'd.
1: It wasn't even mic'd. Nothing that he was doing was coming through. And if you watch, you can see that his fills are all over the map. I think Jason Sudeikis knows how to play the drums in that he can hit the hi-hat on fours, right? Like he knows how to do basic four-four time and mimic what it would look like to play a drum. But he was definitely not performing that song. Really? I'm. <sighs> now you could hear tambourines and stuff coming through. Like Maya Rudolph was coming through because they had her mic for singing. Yeah. Because she had a verse in the song. So when she's playing the tambourine, you're getting that through her mic. But if you actually listen to that, she's playing some horrible tambourine. Same with Pete Davidson in the back. You can hear the off time, not yeah. really committed. Like it's a very flaccid tambourine. One of my pet peeves. Yeah. Nothing worse than a flaccid tambourine. Commit to your tambourining. Yeah. If you got a tambourine in your hand, you got to know how to use it. Yeah. Anyways. So other than that coming through on the vocal mics, there was nothing about their instrumentation that was real to the performance. Okay. Who knows? Well, we can, we can always go back and watch it and we'll regroup on this and uh, put it to bed later in a different cast.
0: But you sufficiently made me feel stupid how wrong I was there.
1: Now, a little bit of behind the scenes stuff. This sketch was much longer in dress. They originally had Sashir off on the side with the students, not in front of the band. Mm-hmm. Cause they had two walls. They had like two opposing sets, one with the, the students and one with the performers. And when she introduces them, the performers come out and sit down. So there's this whole big kind of unnecessary reveal of all like 30 members of the band Right. And all of that's cut out. They restaged it. So she's standing in front of them and just introduces them while they're already seated. And that cuts like a minute out of the front of the sketch. And there was also like a bunch of other verses that I think they pared down too. Gotcha. But if you look at the show and look at how quickly the good nights went and how quickly they cropped the credits, they were definitely running late on this. Probably a necessary edit. Courtney Barnett, Larry David, Jason Sudeikis, Andy Samberg, Maya Rudolph, and Carrie Brownstein. Have a great summer! I sing my song for all to hear. Sit down this instant. I sing my song for all to hear. I will have you both expelled if you do not sit down immediately.
0: Mr. Bunting, I please. I sing my song for all to hear. I sing my song for all to hear. I sing my
1: song to <laughs>